Good morning. That was so, that was good. That was great. Because, you know, you can't hide behind a screen. You're not online anymore. It's not like you pretend, like I say good morning, you don't respond. If I say good morning, you have to respond. So there we go. I love this. We're back together. Uh, what I love about this is not just that we're back together, but all of us are back together. Quakertown and Souderton, both campuses together as one church. This is awesome. And so we've done that last week. And we're doing that this week. And actually, Quakertown's headed back to Quakertown next week. Uh, and to kind of get ourselves uh, ready for that, uh, we're having a barbecue for the Quakertown campus after this service. And so uh, that will happen in the Picnic Grove for our Quakertown campus. So we're, I was thinking about that, and we have this barbecue happening. I was thinking about that, and it's going to be a little bit different from stuff that we've done in Quakertown before. You know, we've had potlucks before and all sorts of things. It's going to have a different feel. I mean, you got to socially distance. We're providing the food because we didn't think that a potluck was a good idea. And But, you know, I was thinking about potlucks. And I've done them here in Souderton when we used to do Family Fusion as well. And I was like, man, I, I kind of miss a good potluck, you know? You know, it's, it's an adventure. You never know what you're going to get, right? You come and you bring your food and everything's there. And you might be later on in the line and you know that there's some really good pulled pork up there. But by the time you get there, the pulled pork is gone. And you're left with the fruit salad with stuff in it that you're not really sure if it really is fruit. And so that's kind of like the joy of a potluck. And... I was thinking about it, and I was thinking of my son Noah, and he had a potluck in his school this year, and he was looking forward to it, and they, it was in his math class, and he was looking forward to it a long time, and he had this great idea. He was going to get Chick-fil-A nuggets and bring it for the potluck. I mean, who doesn't love Chick-fil-A nuggets, and everyone knows that the nugget is way better than the strip. Let's not even have that argument because we know what the nuggets are. And so he had this whole idea. He was going to bring these Chick-fil-A nuggets to the potluck, but there was one problem. He never told me or my wife. And so it's 11 o'clock at night. Of course, it's 11 o'clock at night, the night before the potluck. And he's like, I have to go get Chick-fil-A nuggets. I'm like, you lost your opportunity there, fella. That's not happening. And so I said, you know what we do? We're going to get a crock pot. And we're going to put some meatballs in it. We're going to leave it down low overnight. And we're going to put that. So I put the meatballs in. You go in tomorrow with the meatballs. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. You don't have nuggets, but you bring meatballs. Somehow, I burned the meatballs. I don't know who does that in a crock pot, but this guy burned the meatballs. So when we woke up, what it looked like was actually a pot full of charcoal. I put some water on top and I closed the lid. I'm like, you'll be fine. Just take it. So he took the charcoal meatballs. This is not what he was about. He was thinking chicken nuggets. He goes over there. He brings the charcoal meatballs. He goes to the class. What we forgot to tell him as we were driving in was that he had a dentist appointment that morning. So we actually had to take him out of school for this dentist appointment. He misses the beginning of the potluck. By the time he comes back, his mouth is sore. He's missed most of the good food, and nobody has touched the charcoal meatballs. It certainly wasn't what he expected, certainly what, not what he was hoping for. It was a disappointment. And today, we're going to look at a story of a potluck. We're going to look at a story of a church potluck, the Corinthian church potluck. But there were people at that potluck who had a way worse experience than my son Noah. There were people who were expecting one thing, and what happened was something that was so far worse than charcoal meatballs at a math class potluck. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading from there, and we're going to start at verse 17. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, a city called Corinth, and he says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. 
in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Paul is it's like super sarcastic right now. If you would have read any of this letter beforehand or been here when we were talking about it, you know that there's all this division in the Corinthian church. They're arguing. They're arguing over all these crazy petty things. And he's been going after them over and over, just like this call to unity. And so he's like, in some extent, I believe it. He's being so sarcastic here and says, no doubt there have to be differences among you. So which of you have God's approval? Paul's not messing around here. And then he writes, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So let's stop there for a moment. What, what's happening here? is that we need to paint a little bit of a picture of what's going on. See, Paul is taking time to correct the church in Corinth. He's taking time to, to correct the Corinthian church. He's, he, 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 he writes his letter as a form of correcting them. And so as he corrects them, we need to understand what exactly is happening. In the ancient world, it was way more relational than we are today. It was way more social. Things were done in a community. And so in that world, in the Greek culture, there were these dinners called Eranos di dinners. And, and those dinners were, were done as a community. And it was basically a potluck. They would bring their food and they would eat together as a community. And the church took that dinner and they kind of morphed it a little bit. And what became out of that were these things called love feasts. There were these love feasts where everyone, no matter who you were, would come together and you would eat together as a church. But what was happening, this should have been a good thing. What was happening was actually things that were doing harm. You see, there was a socioeconomic issue that was going on. So you had the wealthy class, and you had those who were rich, and then you had the working class, and then you had the poor class, and even those who were slaves. And what you need to understand in Corinth at that time, there were no days off. So everyone is working. And so people who were wealthy were able to come to this love feast early. They go into like the VIP room. They get into this VIP room. They start eating. They start drinking. They're having a great time. They're eating all the good food. They're getting drunk in there. The working class arrives later on in the day. There's still some food left, not any of the good stuff, but you know, there's at least enough to make a sandwich. And so they have the sandwich and everything they're eating. But by the time those who are poor come and those who are slaves, and this would have probably been the only meal of the day that they would have eaten, they get there and there's nothing there. And those who had been there the whole time, they're, they're having a great old time. They're stuffed. They're, 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 they're just going nuts. And these people who had been working all day show up and they had been overlooked. And Paul is saying, this is not okay. This is not okay. You're not even looking like the culture around you with their dinners. You're not even looking like them. You're supposed to be countercultural, but you're supposed to be countercultural in a way that points to the gospel. This is not okay. You're overlooking each other. And you're causing divide. And you're causing a, a fractured community. And what was worse was that at the end of the love feast, what would happen at the end of the love feast was, would be that they would observe communion. Communion is when at church, when we, we eat bread and we drink of the cup and we remember Jesus' death and we remember his body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And so 
Paul's like, this is supposed to be a picture of the gospel to those around you. And the picture that you are showing is a distorted, polluted picture. So he corrects them. He says, this can't continue. This cannot continue. You can't do this. So after he corrects them, he reminds them of why they are doing this. He corrects them and says, hey, what was supposed to be for good, you're doing and you're causing harm. Let me remind you of why you get together. Let me remind you of what is actually happening here. Let me remind you of why we come together as a church. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is uh, taking this very seriously. And I just want to stop for a moment because sometimes when I'm studying for a message and I'm preparing for a sermon or whatever, I get to study the passage a little bit and I'm either reminded of something that I didn't know or I learned something new or something like that. And sometimes there's just stuff that I think is cool. And so I just want to kind of share with you something that, uh, that I learned as I was preparing that I think is just cool. It's not really a major point or anything like that, but I just thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was interesting. When we read the Bible... We don't read the Bible in the order that the books were written. Most of the time we're reading in a chronological order uh, for the most part, uh, especially in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, are the books of the Bible about Jesus, and, and they occur, and that's what happens. And the book of Acts is, happens after that. But that's not the order in which the books were written. You see, these books were written by people who had experienced it or had heard it from someone who experienced it. And so they're kind of like memoirs or biographies, and they're written later on. And so here's why that's important. First Corinthians was actually written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First Corinthians was written first, before those books. You know why that's pretty cool? Because the first time that Jesus is quoted in writing, the very first time that Jesus' words are written down is the passage that we just read. The first time that the words that Jesus spoke are actually put into writing. And I think that God just do, does some crazy things sometimes and he orchestrates things in an amazing way. The first time that Jesus' words are put into writing is a call to remember his death. A call to remember his body that was broken. A call to remember his blood that was shed. A call to remember him. The Lord's Supper is the first time that Jesus is quoted in writing that we have in the Bible. I think that's awesome. And I just think that that's kind of part of like this, this, this weight and importance of what Paul is doing. And Paul is just feeling this weight of like reminding them like, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to know. And we get echoes of, 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 the, of the Passover feast of which Jesus had been a part of. And what happens in the Passover traditionally for Jewish families would be that a child would look at the father of the home and he, and he would say, why is this night different 
than any of the other nights. Why is this night different than any of the other nights? And Paul is almost bringing the people of Corinth into that conversation. He's like, let me tell you why this feast, when you do communion, should be different than any of the other times that you eat. Let me explain to you what is important about this. And he begins to remind them of a few things. He's beginning to remind them of the fact that this really happened. This is history. This stuff that I'm quoting, Jesus did this. This actually happened. And here's what you need to be reminded of. There is a gift that was provided by the broken body of Jesus. There's a gift that was provided by the broken body of Jesus. And in that, a new covenant is formed by the blood that was shed by Jesus. You see, the Jewish people had been living up until the point of Jesus. They'd been living under the covenant of the law. And they were living under a covenant, a promise, an agreement, a contract between them and God, of which they could not keep their end of the bargain. Jesus steps in and he fulfills the covenant. He fulfills the covenant and establishes a new covenant through his blood, through his death. And now, instead of living under a a covenant based on our own actions, we live under a covenant based on the actions of Jesus. Instead of living under a covenant of law, which we cannot live up to, we live under a covenant that's based on under grace because of what Jesus lived. So Paul reminds them of this. And then he reminds them, he says, and do not forget this. Don't forget this. Communion is a proclamation. Communion is a proclamation. You do this. And every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is what's driving Paul crazy. He goes, do you understand what you're doing? When you have communion, you're proclaiming the gospel. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. And when you do that, and instead of showing healing, instead of showing grace, instead of showing unity, what you show is brokenness. What you show is sickness. What you show is a fractured, divided church. And he's saying, this is a problem. And so Paul corrects the church. And he points out, he says, this cannot be. What was meant for good cannot be done in a way that harms others. And then he reminds them of, goes, here's what you're doing, and here's why you're doing it. Here's why we get together, and here's why it's important. He reminds them. And then he goes on, and he gives them direction. He directs their focus. He directs them on where to look. Let's take a look at the chapter again. Starting at verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Paul is correcting them. He, he, he's correcting them and then he gives them uh, a reminder of what they're doing, and then he gives them a direction on where to look. He's telling them, you need to refocus. There is an element of self-examination that must 
happen in communion. And what he's doing is he's saying you must look and have a self-examination when it comes to communion. And when, we, when it comes to communion, there are six ways in which we need to look. And they are direct, we are directed in six directions of where we need to look during communion. And here's what we need to do. When it comes to communion, we need to look back. We need to look in. We need to look up. We need to look around. We need to look forward. And we need to look out. When it comes to communion, we need to look back. We need to look in. We need to look up. We need to look around. We need to look forward. And we need to look out. We need to look back. Let's not forget the command that comes with communion. It is a command to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. And we don't just remember the actions of Jesus. Yes, we remember the body that was broken. Yes, we remember the blood that was shed. But what are we remembering? We are remembering Jesus himself. We are called to remember him. And so when we look back at what Jesus has done, we are looking back and staring straight and focusing in our eyes and hearts on Jesus himself. And here's why that's important. We define worship at Calvary Church as seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. Communion is an act of worship. It is looking back and seeing Jesus for who he is and responding appropriately. And so when we look back, then we go and we respond. And one of our responses is to look in. To look in. To be a moment of self-reflection and looking in. And when we look back and we see Jesus for who he is, and then we look in and see who we are, our appropriate response needs to be one of repentance. It needs to be one of repentance. That is the response. When we look at the cross, our response is one of repentance. And if we look at the cross in the, in the act of communion, when we look at that and we have a cold heart or we just have an apathetic heart, then I am saying that we are either not looking at Jesus correctly or we're not looking at ourselves correctly. Because the response of looking back leads to look in and that leads to repentance. So we look back, we look in, and then we look up. We look up, we remember, yes, one who died for us, but he did not stay dead. He is still alive. He is the king of kings. And we look up at this king who is still presently on his throne, the one who will be eternally on his throne. And so no matter what distractions we face, no matter what difficulties we face, we look up at the king who is in control. And we respond with grateful and thankful hearts of celebration that the king is the king of kings and he is victorious. We look around. So we look back, we look in, we look up, we look around. And here's where Paul was just so frustrated with the church in Corinth. Here's where he was upset. Here's where he's calling them out. He says, there are people amongst you who are hurting. There are people amongst you who have nothing to eat. And yet you just fill your bellies over and over and get drunk while there are people who are hungry here. This can't happen. You need to look around and see those around you. And part of that is looking around and seeing if there's any unforgiveness in your heart. Part of that is looking around and seeing if you've wronged anyone. But part Part of that is looking around and seeing if there are those around you who are in need or those around you who are hurting, those around you who just need a tangible expression of the gospel. And when I talk about look around, I am actually referring in this section to those in the church, to each other, to our community, to our community of those who believe in Jesus. When you look around, you need to see 
those around you in the community of the church. One of the things that I love about Calvary Church, and, and here's what you need to understand, is that when I say one of the things that I love about Calvary Church, what I'm saying is one of the things that I love about you. One of the things that I love about all of you, of you all, one of the things that I love about you is your generosity. Is the way that I've seen time and time again of people just giving and helping those in need. One of the things that I've seen is that people who will just go take their time and go to the grocery stores and prepare a meal and cook a meal and bring it to someone who they've never met before. Because that person has either had a, a, a newborn baby or that person has been sick or that person has fallen on hard times and they bring a meal to someone they've never met before. There's been so many times that I've been in the church uh, office when someone will come in and they will bring a financial gift and they'll say, I heard of someone in need. Please give this to them. Don't let them know it's for me. Let it be, please let it be anonymous. And they don't even know that person half the time. They just know that there was a hardship and they want to meet that need. I have not just seen it. I've experienced it. I've experienced your love to me and my family, when Jen and I first moved here and we joined Calvary Church, we were only 21 year, years old. We had a little newborn son. Uh, Jen didn't drive. And so what happens is, is that Brenda Latrell comes into our lives. She hardly knew Jen at that point. But she had heard of a need in women's Bible study. And she comes to Jen and she just takes her out for coffee. She takes her out to the mall. She just takes her so she can have a break and just be with her. Priscilla Martin uh, Jen needs to learn how to drive. Obviously, she has a husband who is impatient and would not be a good driving teacher. So what does she do? She hears a need. She doesn't know Jen at all. She steps in and she teaches Jen how to drive. Jen gets her license. Time and time again, meals were brought with us because time and time again, we got pregnant and had kids. So time and time again, you all brought meals to us. And they were delicious, by the way. You guys are very good cooks. Time and time again, you have loved on us. Time and time again, when we were going through a financial hardship, it was an anonymous gift from someone here at church that got us through that. Guys, thank you. And the reason I bring all of that up is because if you're new to Calvary Church, you need to know the heritage and history of the church you're stepping into. This is a church that is willing to give of itself to help those around them. And that was not happening in the church in Corinth. And that was what was happening. That's why Paul was so upset. He's like, you're not even seeing those around you. Look around. Look around and go to them. So we need to look back. We need to look in. We need to look up. We need to look around. And then we need to look forward. When we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming back. The King of Kings is coming back. He is coming back. And when he does, he will restore things to perfection. When he brings his kingdom back, when he, when he restores the perfection, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more hardships. There will be no financial strife. There will be no hatred. There will be no coronavirus. There will be no more difficulties. It will be perfect. And we cling to that as you go through those things in your normal everyday lives. You cling to that hope that the king of kings, the one true king is coming back. So you look forward. You look forward with celebratory hearts of expectation and hope. And then finally, we look out. Not look out like watch out, like, like, like oh, watch out. 
It's not a warning. No, look out, look outwards. Look outwards. The gift of Jesus came with a mission. The gift of Jesus came with us being called to continue what Jesus started. We are to look outwards. Don't forget that statement about proclaiming the Lord's death, proclaiming the gospel. When we do communion, when we worship in that way, it is one of the ways that we proclaim the Lord's death. And here's what's going on with the church in the time of Corinth and the early church. Yes, they came together. Yes, they had their love feast. Yes, they did communion together. Yes, they did things as a community. And you know what else they did? They obeyed Jesus' command to go and make disciples, to go out. We are called to come together. And then we are called to go out and be the gospel to everyone around us and to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed. We are given a mission to live out. So when it comes to communion, we do that with hearts of self-reflection, an introspective act where we look back, we look in, we look up, we look around. We look forward and we look out. In a moment, we're going to do just that. We're going to have communion together. And I ask you to do just that. To spend some time before you eat the bread and drink the cup. To look back and see Jesus for who he is. To look in and respond with repentant hearts. And respond in worship. To look up. And understand that whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is, whether it's your own pain, whether it's looking at your children and where they are headed and all the pain that that brings, whatever it is that you're going through, he's still king and he's still on his throne. And I want you to look around. If there's anything that you have wronged and you are not coming with a repentant heart of wronging someone else and you're just cold in that, then I ask you to go Back to the first couple of steps of looking at who Jesus is and looking internally and coming to that repentance. But if you look around, look around and notice those around you and commit to responding in love. Look forward. He's coming back. He's coming back. And one day, all of the mess will be gone. And what will remain will be Jesus. And everything will be perfect. Cling to that with hearts of hope. And then look out. Look out. Go and be the gospel. I understand that this has been a difficult season. We understand as pastors, we've talked about it together. The staff have talked about it. We understand that this has been difficult. And because of that, while you are taking time to just look back, look in, Look up, look around, look forward and look out. While you are taking time of self-reflection, we would ask you to allow us as a staff to pray over you. So when you are doing that, before you take that bread and cup, I want you to know that we are praying over you and we will pray over you with a song that we would like to make a prayer of blessing over you. So in a moment, Jeremiah will come out and he's going to lead you in communion. And we will be praying over you with this song. But before we do that, can we join together and pray? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the reminders to remember. To remember who you are and what you've done. 
and what you will do. Lord, stir in our hearts. Stir in our hearts attitudes of repentance. Stir in our hearts attitudes of love. Stir in our hearts attitudes of boldness and courage. And let us go out as a church and bring the gospel to everyone and anyone. Lord, bless this church and bless this community. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.